Bay Hills Community Church is pleased to have you with us as we continue our series, Uncensored. We're reminded by our guest speaker, Gil Stiglitz, that the Sermon on the Mount is sort of like 50 instructions from Jesus to his followers on how to have a better life. As we look at Matthew 7, we find Jesus telling his followers about some hidden dangers they'll face. Listen as Gil gives us some pointers for avoiding the dangers that Jesus talks about that can really mess up our lives as followers. We are continuing in the series, Jesus Uncensored, um, or as some people call it, it's the day that God talked about everything. It's uh, the most famous sermon in all of the Bible is the Sermon on the Mount, which is what we've been diving into. Now, what's interesting about the Sermon on the Mount, I did a little bit more research, is that the Sermon on the Mount is really 50 instructions from Jesus to his followers. And he's saying, I want to give you the top 50 in order for you to really follow me and enjoy life and move forward. And uh, what's fascinating to me is the things that make the top 50. The things I would think, I wouldn't put that in there. And uh, other things I would say, I certainly would put that in here and he doesn't. Now, what I want to talk with you about today is Jesus prophesying about hidden dangers. What's interesting to me in terms of the 50 things that Jesus tells his followers in order to have the best kind of life and to live for him, he tells almost invariably, they're all positive. He says really hard things, very positive. I want you to be blessed when you're humble and I want you to be caring and processing your pain. And he says amazing things in the most positive way. And then right near the end of the sermon, he just goes negative. He just goes, bam, bam, bam. And what's interesting to me is you, you kind of have to realize this is God standing on earth looking at about five to 10,000 followers and then looking down through the corridors of time and going, what is going to mess up the people who follow me more than anything else? And he sees a hundred years later and 500 years later and a thousand years later and 2000 years later. And he just says, let me interrupt all this positive and tell you, don't do these things. Because every time you, my followers, do these three things, you get messed up and you mess up everything. And I'm just fascinated by the fact, positive, positive. Don't do this. So are you ready for this? But that, by the way, isn't it interesting that that's the ones Dave gave me? <laughs> you give them the negative, Gil. I'll handle all the positive. Now, so... What's the first negative? He's going along and he just, bam, he just says, if my followers do this, it will mess up everything. And every time the church or Christians slide into this, it's just bad. And he says, basically, stop judging other people. Stop judging other people. Now, what's interesting, take a look at uh, what Jesus actually says here. In Matthew chapter 7, do not judge so that you will not be judged. For in the way you judge, you will be judged. And by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you. Now, I don't know what the irony of that is just amazing to you, but here is God who knows absolutely everything about everybody in the whole crowd. And he says to you, 
Stop judging. Don't you think he wanted to say, I know what you did last night. I know what you did three nights ago. He's got stuff to say about everyone. And he doesn't say that. He says, you want to know how you can mess up your life? Start imposing everything you think on other people. And, and he just says, don't do that. Even though he's giving us 50 instructions on how to have a better life, he's not telling us, jam it down everybody else's throat. I find that really interesting because have you ever noticed that we have a tendency to believe that the way we do things is the right way? <laughs> that we drive the right kind of car, we drive the right way. And look at those crazy people. They're not even driving right. And look at that kind of house. Why would you do that to your house? Why would you do that? How come you look at, did you see the way she's wearing her hair? Oh, shocking. And, and, and we have all of these little judgments that come out of us that just naturally kind of betray the fact that we're self-focused. And we don't really want to give other people the room to be different. Because we think it'd be better if you were like me. I have a difficult enough time just being married to my wife and having, I go, why would you do it that way? And, and in my head, does that ever happen to you? And, and she's looking at me like, and the whole process of this, this idea. Now you have to understand the context of what Je Jesus is saying this to a group largely of Jewish people who loved the law. They just, they had rules for everything. How long your little toga thing could be and what you had to do here and what you had to do there. In fact, they took just as an example, they took one law from the, the Ten Commandments, rest one day a week. And they wrote a whole 24-chapter commentary on it called the Midrash. And then that wasn't enough. They wrote 64 chapters of commentary on the 24 chapters to tell you exactly what God meant when he said rest at least one day a week. Now, and so what Jesus is saying is, and don't we all feel this? That every time the church gets in the business, not of living the life Jesus has for us, but judging everybody else who isn't, the church messes up. Now, it's hard. It's very hard sometimes to feel like, we've got the message, please listen to us. Instead of just saying, fascinating. I would have never thought of living that way. Do <laughs> you understand what I'm saying here? Now, I'm going to get myself in a lot of trouble. Uh, now, take a look. At, here's some quotes from some great commentators and some other, even Jewish scholars who've looked at this idea. William Barclay said, you, we never know the whole facts of the whole person. Do not, Rabbi Hillel, um, who was a couple hundred years before Jesus, do not judge a man until you yourself have come into the circumstances or his situation. John Stott, a famous pastor in England, wrote, The command to judge not is not a requirement to be blind, but rather a plea to be generous. Now, let me just say, God is not saying to judges or to people who are in positions of authority, stop making evaluations, stop policing and doing those. What he is saying is, stop demanding everyone live your way. Stop become generous 
I'm fascinated by all the different kinds of people that I meet who they. Wow, that's really different. And then they'll. This is different. This is. And that's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, I want to train you how to follow me, but I don't want you to constantly be in everybody else's business telling them they got to be just like you. Does that make sense? Now, in fact, every time the church has gotten a bad name, which unfortunately has right now, is because we've done exactly what he says not to do. Now, does that mean that people will do things that are not what he wants? Yes. And I think there's a, I kind of doctor fill it a little bit. How's that working for you? Fascinating. <laughs> Instead of judging, how, how, tell me about the results of that. Instead of, anyway, let's go on. Um, interestingly enough, Jesus tells us why he says this. He says, if you're generous with others, then they and God will be generous with you. And look at the scriptures here where he says, do not judge so that you will not be judged. For in the way you judge, you will be judged. Underline that right there in your Bibles. Um, I'd say on your phones, but that would not be good for your phone. Uh, uh, by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you. There seems to be some kind of reciprocity system that god has cooked into the universe now our buddhist friends call it karma okay but jesus is talking about the same thing here in fact it's just fascinating to me he says if you judge in the way you judge you will be judged god's going to make sure that the kind of judgments that you give out are going to come back at you look at some other verses we've put up there matthew 5 verse 7 blessed are the merciful for they shall receive mercy in other words, if you're not merciful, what's not going to happen to you? You're not going to get mercy. Okay. And then he goes on in Romans chapter two for you, for you who judge practice the same things. Aren't we the hardest on the people who do the things we know we shouldn't be doing? You know, um, then in Romans chapter 2, 12 and through 16, this is a very interesting idea. Look, it says, for all who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law. And all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. Their conscience bearing witness and their thoughts alternately accusing or else defending them on the day when, according to my gospel, God will judge the secrets of men through Jesus Christ. A number of people say to me, what about the people who get to judgment day? They've never heard of Jesus. They've never heard of the law. They don't know what's right and wrong then what this scripture tells us is that God is going to say, well, what did you think was right and wrong? And then God's going to play back your life to see whether you followed your own rules, which is we never do. Does that make sense? So what God is saying here is make sure that you're not in the business of foisting your rules that you don't follow on other people. Can I just say that? Now, we just have to be generous with people. And I've taken the word, instead of wrong, I've taken the word fascinating. That's just fascinating. Interesting. I wouldn't have thought of that. Because ultimately, here's the deal. Ultimately, I know God is not ever going to look at me and say, okay, you're the judge, Gil. You decide everything. He, he's going to do it himself. And I can just say, fascinating. Now, 
would you like to consider maybe a different way of doing that or living your life? And if they say no, okay, does that make sense? Now, there's a whole lot of implications to that, but it, I just find it fascinating. Jesus is saying to his followers, stop trying to impose what you have discovered on everyone else. That's a weird thing. Even if you think it's better. Um, now, well, <laughs> this kind of came a 360 degrees around to me. I, I kind of had an illustration of this. About 11 years ago, we bought a dog for my middle daughter to keep her from hugging boys. And, and it worked exceptionally well. It was just, she, oh, the dog was wonderful. And then when she went off to college, um, I inherited the ability to take care of the dog. And, uh, you know, and, oh, it's my dog, she said all the time, but I was the one that walked it and fed it and did all the kind of thing. And so uh, we cared for the dog. And, and you know, the dog is one of those interesting dogs that needs a lot of attention. And it, it was it's a cow herding dog. So it loves to be around your ankles, nipping at your ankles, so that you will, it will go, you will go the way it wants. And that's a little annoying, okay? And uh, I remember, you know, just now, so we've had this dog 11 years. This last year, the dog began to get slow, and, and so it would still want to be around your ankles, but it couldn't get out of the way when you walked. So, and, and so, I'm, and it's tick, 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 just, just in the way. It just loves to be around you in a rather annoying way. And I remember, oh, oh, oh. And yet, I was getting upset at the dog, and then I realized it's getting older, and I'm thinking, oh, my goodness, I just don't know whether I can put up with this. And then this thought crossed my mind. I'm getting older. <laughs> and the way that I treat the dog might be the way that my daughter treats me. <laughs> and so I had a whole new revelation of uh, caring for the dog. And so we cared for the dog and we loved on the dog. And, and, and I walked it until finally it got to the place where it couldn't walk. And then just... Two weeks ago, it got to the place where it couldn't move anything except its head. And so I thought, okay, if I was in that situation, how would I want to be cared for in that situation? And so I lifted up the dog and I carried her around the house and around the outside. And I said, you've been a great dog. And I walked her personally the mile to the vet and uh, was with her then as we said goodbye. And I thought, that's, that's kind of the way I want my daughters to treat me. And I don't know how all this works, but God makes it clear that the way that you treat other people is the way that God will make sure that you get treated. And we can't miss that illustration there. Does that make sense? Now, then he, Jesus gives us an illustration because uh, what's interesting, he gives us the point. He gives us the why, and then he gives us an illustration. Now, look at what he says as the illustration. He says, why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, and you do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, and behold, the log is in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Now, what I've noticed is, is that all of us are experts at other people's problems. 
And we love to say, you've got a problem. You've got a speck. Would you like me to help you with that? Would you like me to correct that? And it's about this size. What we don't really realize is we've got this all the while. We've got this. Hey, can I help you? Whack. What do you tell? And, and your own problem is just this huge wart on the front of your life. And you're not even noticing it because it's always been there. And you're saying, oh, I can do surgery on your little speck. Even though it's hard to get close enough to you, I kind of got to do this. Jesus is just full of this kind of humor. Now, one of the things he says, and Romans suggests this, is the things that you're most interested in helping in others are the things that you have the plank yourself. So be willing to go, I really don't like the fact that they're an angry person. Does that suggest that maybe I'm a little bit more angry than I ought to be? Uh, But that's too convicting, so let's move on. There is the most interesting story that took place in a church in Minnesota where a little girl who was about three years of age, she was charging around and her mother said, okay, so you can go to children's church. And so she's charging around, she's doing her thing. And she went back into the back into this area where they had different kinds of things. And she actually, in the midst of that, was in a kind of an unsafe area. She fell down and she fell on a screwdriver and jammed a screwdriver into her eye. But she didn't notice, which was interesting to me. And she came charging out, hey, 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 and she's got, this is the x-ray of her at the hospital. And, and somebody finally had to say, little girl, you've got a screwdriver in your eye. Kind of, I didn't notice. And so interesting, they pulled it out and no problem. And they have a wonderful little picture of this little three-year-old girl with just a little kind of a dot right above her eye. Missed her eye, just went above the socket and went right through the thing. It's like, what's interesting to me is that Jesus says, almost all of us have that issue where we've got something in our life we're not noticing. Now, take a look at this. Planks are slow growers. They don't just suddenly lodge and you have a blank. You know, it's not like I was fine and then the next thing I know I have a problem. No, it's been growing over some time. You, you are an angry person. You are an arrogant jerk. You are a gossipy person. And it's been there a while. It's been growing. You just don't notice it because it's always there or you enjoy it. Now, I ask my wife occasionally when I can handle the answer. How do you see me limiting myself? And I have to kind of steel myself against the answer because she knows exactly where I'm an idiot. And she's gracious enough not to share it most of the time. Does that make sense? But if we're going to make progress in our jobs, in our marriages, in our family, in our neighborhood, we have to have a very trusted, safe person who's not out to hurt you. Where do you see I have a plank in my eye? Now, be kind. I I know I probably don't have any. And they'll say, oh, maybe right there. I remember one time she said, 
you think I'm going to say this plank. But this was much smaller than it used to be. But it's this one. And she pointed out another one. This is what you need to work on right now. Okay. Thank you. This is what it means to be a follower of Christ. It means to say, we're not perfect. Nobody else is perfect. Jesus, come forgive me. Come make me better. I want to give everyone else the ability as much as I possibly can. And Jesus wants to go way beyond that to let other people live their lives without me judging them. Does that make sense? And now let's go on. Okay. The second thing Jesus says is kind of hidden. It's kind of different. But let me just say, I wish I had known this years and years and years ago. Because I have messed up on this one significantly. Okay? Now, he says, my definition, stop giving unwanted feedback. (laughs) Have you ever told people things they didn't want to have you tell them? (laughs) Here's how Jesus says it. Take a look at what he says. Do not give what is holy to dogs. Do not throw your pearls before swine, or they will trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. I've discovered that people tend to enjoy not knowing things that sometimes would hurt them or wound them or cause them to change. Right? And I've discovered that something inside of me just loves to tell them. And they don't always appreciate that. It's fascinating to me. And what Jesus says is, when you have this pearl, this truth, oh, you need this truth, could I tell you? They don't want to know it. The classic example for me is, every once in a while, I get up the courage to try and do a sit-up. And so I do one and I feel like I ought to be congratulated. I, ought to, I did a sit-up. For goodness sake, I, I did a sit-up. And my wife will, every once in a while, she'll stroll by and she's like Miss Exercise. She's like the queen of all exercises. She has a million of sit-ups and push-ups and Pilates and everything. And she'll come and she'll say, would you like to know how to do that, right? <laughs> and the answer to that question is always, no! I should get a cake for doing one. Right? And some of you have experienced this at work. Where you've been in some kind of work setting and people say, oh, we really want your feedback. We really want you to tell us what's going on. And so someone will be brave enough to actually tell, here's what's wrong with the company. Here's what's going on. And then they get fired. Their their services are no longer required. (laughs) This is what Jesus is talking about here. He's saying, make sure that when you give feedback, you have tested almost every way you can that they understand that this is a pearl. Because if they can't appreciate the pearl you're about to give, Jesus says they're swine and don't give it to them. Because if you give it to them, they will turn and trample you to death. Um, 
Isn't that fun and cheery? See, Dave leaves me these passages. Now, but we're having fun with it. Okay. Now, you have to understand that Jesus was standing there with a group of five to 10,000 people and he could have told them everything like he did the woman on the well. You have five husbands and the one you're living with right now isn't your husband. But he doesn't do that. He knows that when he finally talks to that woman, she's ready to receive the pearl. And he doesn't give it before she's ready. Do you know how wonderful it is that when I pray to Jesus, he doesn't say, so glad you called because here's a bunch of stuff I want to dump on you. He says, Gil, you can probably only handle one little thing right now. So let's just talk about that. Or maybe I, I, sometimes I can't handle anything. I just need him to love on me. And so you know what he does? He loves on me. I find that wonderful. Now, let's go on. The third thing that Jesus says is beware of false prophets. He looks down through the corridors of history and he says, what I will see, what I see is I see a lot of people who are both preachers and non-preachers who are telling you, follow me, I know what's going on. If you eat this kind of stuff, you'll really live forever. Or if you do this or you put this on your hair, it'll all be perfect. Or if you do it my way. He's saying, this is going to cause problems with my followers. So he says at the very beginning, beware of false prophets. Look behind the curtain. Look at their life. Look what he says here in in Matthew chapter 7. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravelous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Grapes are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor figs from thistles are they. So every good tree bears good fruit, but bad tree... But the bad trees bear bad fruit. A good tree cannot produce bad fruit, nor can a bad tree produce good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So then you will know them by their fruits. Every time I look at this, I think of that clip from The Wizard of Oz. So I just wanted us to show this. Just just look at this, because this is the perfect illustration. We got that? I believe my eyes. Why have you come back? Please, sir, we've done what you told us. We brought you the broomstick of the Wicked Witch of the West. We melted her. Oh, you liquidated her, eh? Very resourceful. Yes, sir. So we'd like you to keep your promise to us, if you please, sir. Not so fast. Not so fast. I'll have to give the matter a little thought. Go away and come back tomorrow. Tomorrow? You've had plenty of time already. Yeah. Do not arouse the wrath of the great and powerful Oz. I said come back tomorrow. If you are really great and powerful, you keep your promises. Do you presume to criticize the great Oz? You ungrateful creatures think yourselves lucky that I'm giving you audience tomorrow instead of 20 years from now. Oh, the great Oz has spoken. Oh. Pay no attention to that man behind the curtain. The great Oz That's has Isn't spoken. Pay no attention to that man behind the curtain. Now, l- let me just put this practically. Jesus looks through the corridors of history and he says, there will be prophets. There will be people who can help you, who can teach you. But make beware of the false ones. Look behind the curtain. And they're in the secular world. They're in the Christian world. And he says, this is a problem 
and I can see that it's going to be a problem. Can, let me just, one of the things that concerns me, I care an awful lot about families. So I watch people who are standing up saying, here's how to raise your kids. And then you look at their kids and they're horrible. <laughs> They've got all the little letters and all the little things that say, listen to me, but their kids hate them. Something's wrong there. Or the people who, let me fix your marriage, even though I've went through 75. They're, they're, and I love the fact that Jesus just says, don't listen to what they say completely. Listen, but then check out what's the fruit coming from their life. Does that make sense? What kind of life are they living? Are they greedy? Are they lustful? Do they actually have uh, the life that they're saying that they are proclaiming to others? Isn't that amazing that Jesus would say that to us? He doesn't just say, believe everything. He says, look behind the curtain. And Jesus is trying to help us realize that there will be people who speak really well, but they don't live out anything they're saying. And he wants, their fo- he wants his followers to look for that difference. Follow the ones that are really loving him and you're seeing great fruit and good things are happening and that kind of stuff. Now, um, let's go on. Let's talk about action steps. I don't believe in preaching sermons we don't apply. So there's three clear things and then one that's a little bit extra that come from this sermon that Jesus is trying to talk to us. The first is, how many of you would say that you need to maybe give some people in your life a little more room to be different than you? Good, good. A few of us, a few of us. Okay, good. Okay. Some of you are kind of raising it down here, but that's okay. That's okay. How many of you would say that you, you may need to, to not give as much feedback to people who don't want it? Okay, good. And it's so hard. I just want to, I want to say this and they don't want to hear it. I don't know whether it's the kind of laundry soap you have. I don't care whether it's the kind of way you raise your kids or the kind of job you have or the way you invest your money. Jesus says, beware of false prophets. How many of you and I need to maybe say, God, can you let me take a look at their life so that I'm not following someone who's really not living it? Good, good. That's let's just see where this thing's going. Now, for some of you, we have to talk about the fourth possibility. And the fourth possibility is, is that this is addressed to Jesus's followers, that maybe you're, you're, you're not a Christian. Maybe you've come to church for a while, but you're not a Christian. I remember I kind of grew up in church, but I didn't become a Christian until I was 17. I grew up in this church and I became a Christian when I was 17 years of age. So let me just talk to you about how do you do that? I would like to become a Christian. You pray a prayer like this, dear Jesus, I am a sinner and I would like you to be my savior. I have no hope of heaven without you. Please come into my life and make me the kind of person you want me to be. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. It's just a simple prayer that says, Jesus, I want to be your follower. I want to begin to learn what it means to follow you. Now, if you come to church every week, but you never get to that kind of a prayer, you're not a Christian. You're just a person who comes to church 
And I desperately want you to know the love of God flowing into your life where that Jesus can say, yes, let's move through your life. My life radically changed when at 17 years of age, I said, Jesus, okay, I've watched this long enough and I want you in my life, not just around my life. So I'm going to pray. And if you would like to pray that prayer with me, love to have you pray it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come in the name of your son, the Lord Jesus. And some of us here need to give other people in our lives who are different than us, who come at life differently, more room. And we need to just stop judging them. Some of us need to really grapple with the fact that we need to shut our mouths when we want to give feedback because the other person's not ready to hear it. And we need to grapple with that. Some of us need to look behind the curtain. We need to get to know the the people we're following for our investments, our life, our parenting, our uh, travel or whatever, so that we don't get taken in by false prophets. And Father, some of us, some here, need to say, maybe for the first time, "I I would like to become a Christian. And if that's you, just pray silently in your heart this little prayer. Dear Jesus, I am a sinner. I would like you to come and be my savior. I would like you to make me the kind of person you want me to be. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. In Jesus' name, amen. It's our hope that today's podcast has enriched your life and answered questions you may have had. If you'd like more information about what was said in this podcast or about Bay Hills Community Church, you can reach us on the Internet at www.bayhills.net. Bay Hills, located in El Sobrante, California, exists to help everyone take their next step closer to Jesus. Thanks again for listening.